Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Well, let's once again look to God and let's ask for his help in prayer as we come to the ministry of the word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are able to gather together here as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ called out from this world. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased and delivered so many saints in this world from this world. And now we ask that as we have come to hear your word, we're gathered in a sense around the feet of Jesus. Give us the heart and the attitude of Mary so long ago who had chosen the better part. We're here with no other purpose in mind right now than to hear the voice of our Savior speaking through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come Lord Jesus Christ, come Holy Spirit, come Father and be with us and bless us and speak to us and through your word this day change us for your glory and honor, and for the good of our souls. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come to the end of this passage on the complete armor of God, our focus today is on verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's our focus, verse 18. Our topic, therefore, is prayer. There's an instructive passage in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of Judges, chapters 19 to 21, and specifically chapter 20, verses 18 and following in the book of Judges. It's kind of a lengthy passage. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you here. At the center of that three chapters is a three-day war. So it fits in with our topic of spiritual warfare. You may remember the setting. You may not. I'll give it to you briefly. In that war, there were 11 tribes of Israel fighting against one 
smaller tribe, that is the tribe of Benjamin. And the 11 tribes, of course, therefore had the numbers. If I remember the math, they outnumbered Benjamin something like 16 to 1. And the 11 tribes had a righteous cause. The tribe of Benjamin had sinned. They had committed, one city of Benjamin had committed a very grievous sin, the men of that town. And the whole tribe of Benjamin rallied to their cause and defended them in a very unrighteous cause. And so God showed how unrighteous their cause was and how righteous was the cause of the 11 tribes by virtually wiping out the tribe of Benjamin in that three-day war. But the whole three days of the war were not all one-sided like that. On day one, the 11 tribes went out incensed with what the tribe of Benjamin were doing and committed to destroying them with God's help. <clears throat> but they simply went out asking, Lord, who should go first to the battle? And on that day, with all their zeal and righteous cause and numbers, they lost 22,000 men. And they inflicted hardly any damage on Benjamin. A similar thing happened in day two. After those losses on the first day, they did decide to pray, but it said that they first set the battle in array for day two. Then they prayed. On day two, they lost 18,000 men. The 11 tribes did. Day three was different. The tribes of Israel fasted. They wept before the Lord and then they asked God, should we even go to battle against Benjamin again? And if you know the story, you know what the end was. God said, go, I will deliver them in your hand. And he did. They wiped out almost the entirety of the army of the Benjamites. After two sore defeats, they finally approached battle as they should have approached it on the first day, with humility, with trepidation, and truly asking the Lord if he even wanted them to go and fight that battle. In a certain way, that passage shines a light on our passage in Ephesians chapter 6. I've been trying to impress upon us all the fact that we have invincible armor with which God has supplied us. We have everything we need for the fight. And the result of that could be that you could be so confident in your armor and therefore in your ability to fight that you approach the spiritual battle that this life is for the Christian with this attitude. I've got this. There's no, there's no question as to the outcome of the battle. The battle is mine. Because of God, I've got it. Yet the great lesson of that passage in the book of Judges is this, that we are all absolutely dependent on God at all times. No matter that we have a righteous cause, no matter that we have all that we need. 
And we are especially dependent on God in this great spiritual warfare in which God has placed us. And we need in our lives, brethren, to demonstrate the fact that we understand that and to express that dependence by humbly waiting upon God. I say humbly, meaning we need to see ourselves as weak and needy as we go into this battle every day of it. And it means also that we realize we deserve nothing from God and that nothing is automatic for us in our Christian life. Rather, we are dependent every day, all day, upon God's grace. And I say waiting upon Him. We humbly wait upon Him, meaning we need to engage in constant, earnest prayer all throughout the battle. The, the tribes of Israel on that last day of battle, they fasted, they sacrificed, and they asked God, should we even go on this third day to battle again? Well, there's a sense in which we could look at Ephesians 6, verse 18, in a similar light. We read about all the armor that God has provided, and we don't say, huh, it's over. I've got this. No, we need to be in humble dependence upon God at all times, and to express it, as Paul says, with all prayer and supplication. So today, in this final message... On this subject of prayer, I have two great goals. The first one is, we could say, to, to elevate your understanding of what are the most significant things that we should pray for as Christians. Now, I trust most of you already understand what are the most important things. It's expressed, for instance, in the order of what we call the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus gave us the prayer, the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, Luke 11, how did he start out? He started out with three petitions that especially focus us on kingdom concerns and on eternal realities, spiritual things. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before we get to praying for things like give us this day, our daily bread, and so on. Those spiritual things are the most important things. So think of this text as we think of the kind of prayers Paul has in mind, especially that we pray in Ephesians chapter 6. My eyesight is better without glasses today, so we may have another uh, sermon without my my eyeglasses on. So we could, we could look at Ephesians 6.18 that way, as I said. What are the most important things we should pray for? I think of this text, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's the will of God. Every day you wake up, there are many things in your life, maybe you wonder, what's the will of God? What is the most important thing for me today? One thing you know, very specifically, what the will of God is for you. Your sanctification, that you become a holier person. Or as Paul stated it in the last part of 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. He had a very specific application in mind. That's the will of God. 
You always know that. Every time you begin your day, every time you go into your prayer closet. There may be prayers that you pray, like I quoted the text on Wednesday night, Romans 8, 26. We do not know how to pray for as we ought. There are things like that in our lives. Things where we have to make decisions, and the Bible doesn't say make this decision or make that one. It gives us principles. It helps to direct us. But you know what the most important things in life are, and you can pray very, very specifically. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's especially in view when we think of the spiritual warfare we're in, fending off the darts of the wicked one, and praying that God would help us to do that. So ask yourself here at the outset, are your most earnest prayers primarily for these kind of spiritual concerns? Or are they for primarily temporal matters? In other words, the times that you really, really find yourself praying earnestly maybe is when you get into a pinch financially. Or if you've had some kind of inner injury or illness that crops up, and maybe it's a serious one, then you really pray um, uh, uh, specifically and earnestly with great zeal. In other words, you're praying more earnestly about life in this world. Something sad happens to you or someone you know. Well, then you'll really pray earnestly for them. Or for finding a spouse for yourself, for instance. Do you really pray more earnestly for something like that? Or finding a job? Or the need for money? Or to find a home? Or other what we call major decisions? Well, part of my concern is that in hearing what you hear today, you make a determination to see that your greatest priorities in prayer are for especially spiritual things, and particularly these matters of the spiritual battle God has put us in. A second great goal is this, that you elevate your understanding of the very significant place of prayer in our battle that we're in. Prayer is very, very significant in the Christian life. You might say, we, we all know that. It certainly is very significant in the spiritual battle that we're in. We all know that, you might say. But my concern is that you would elevate your understanding of the significance of prayer in the Christian fight and that you engage more earnestly in prayer as a result of that. Especially, for instance, as you may think thoughts like this. You know, I, I, try, I try to fight the Christ, in the Christian life. I try to fight this battle against the devil and all the powers of darkness. I really do my best. But, you know, like, like Pastor Chansky even said in one of his sermons or more, the devil is able to plant thoughts in our minds. I mean, how can I fight against that? When I think sometimes of these thoughts that are planted in my mind, I just, I don't know what to do, and I sin when I think, and it leads me to other sins. Well, the Bible does tell you that you are to resist him. Uh, James 4, 6. Or also, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, after it tells us the devil is like a, a lion, 
prowling about seeking to devour people. It says you need to resist him steadfast in the faith. How can you resist him? You can't give him a punch in the nose. You can't physically run away from him. Well, here's where prayer comes in, or as Paul says, all prayer. Or you might say, but, 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 pastor, I'm so weak as a Christian. I have no power. That's what I sense. I am such a weak Christian. Well, you're making my case here. You are weak. And you need to realize your weakness and realize that you then, above all people, need to cry out to God. That's God's way, isn't it? Think of John 15 in Jesus' words, you need to abide in him. Why? Because he said, apart from me, you can do nothing, absolutely nothing. You can do no good whatsoever. And you're not just that, when you come to God as a sinner, asking for grace and pardon and conversion, in and of yourself, you're that every single day of your Christian life. Think of the lesson of Gideon's 300 against the Midianites, thousands of them on the hillside. Other texts in the Bible that I think of as well on this issue of seeing our weakness and our need. I think of many of the chapters in the last half of the book of Second Chronicles. There was a number of instances when kings were in trouble. And it says, and the king or and the people cried out to God. And then God worked in wondrous ways on behalf of his people. So that's my goal, that we would see those things, that we would see the importance of earnest prayer, and prayer that is made in a posture of absolute dependence upon God. It is true that prayer is the breath of the Christian. Prayer is a mark of the true believer. But we could also say that prayer is the lifeblood or the life preserver of the Christian. And that's especially the point here in Ephesians 6, 18, we're in a battle that, as I've said, is really a battle for life or death. It's a battle for spiritual survival in this great spiritual warfare. Think of verses 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against 
spiritual hosts of wickedness. <coughs> Verse 16, we need to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 18, we need to pray always being watchful. Interestingly, in this verse here, verse 18, that mentions prayer, it's the first part, we could say, of the spiritual armor or weaponry in which the weapon, if you will, is not compared to a piece of armor or a weapon like a sword. The commentator John Eady wrote this, he said, the order of thought is this, make preparation Take the armor, stand, fight, and all the while, be praying. Or some people like to say that we should be bathing everything in prayer. That's certainly true in the spiritual battle we're in. So Paul doesn't compare it to a specific piece of armor. But I, I think if we think in terms of 2 Corinthians 10, that I used the last two or three weeks, talking about uh, the fact, Paul does, about the fact that we have, um, he says, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty for tearing down strongholds. I think it's hard not to see prayer as a spiritual weapon in this great battle. At any rate, my main focus will be on prayer, but I also want to address the subject of watching, or watchfulness, as Paul says there, praying always, with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end. So, prayer and watchfulness. We'll begin with watchfulness. So the first exhortation we could say is watch. And I want to use both for what I say about watchfulness and for prayer, especially a text in Luke 21 that I think puts these two things together in a very clear way to show us the relationship and it's also an excellent text to, to um, fill out a little bit what that means to be prayerful and watchful. So it's Luke 21, the words that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 21, verses 24 to 26. I'm sorry, I said 24 to 26, 34 to 36. Here Jesus begins with this word, this uh, language of watchfulness. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, that is the day of judgment, the second coming, come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So you see that element of watching, verse 34, take heed, all that that entails. Verse 35, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, watch therefore. Watch. That's our word to begin with. Be aware, be ready, be alert, be ready for anything. In Ephesians 6, 
Paul emphasizes that in verse 18 by saying, pray being watchful. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 26, 41, his well-known word. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You don't want to enter into temptation? Two things to do. Watch and pray. Earlier on in Ephesians 6, we looked at the belt, the belt of truth, and the shoes, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And those things really have to do with readiness, alertness, being aware. You have a belt of truth that is girded around you. It's tightened so you can be ready to do anything and not be encumbered either by uh, your armaments that are connected to the belt and strapped onto you by it. And similarly with the, um, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, you want to have your shoes on and tied tightly or however they connected their shoes to their feet in those days. It speaks of readiness. I used this illustration in the basketball camp. I said, imagine playing basketball with your basketball shorts and your basketball shoes, but you don't have any elastic on your basketball shorts. And you don't have any shoelaces in your basketball shoes. How would you be playing? You'd be playing with one hand on your waist, holding up your pants, and then you'd, you'd kind of have to walk like this, or run like that if you could, keeping your toes curled up so your shoes don't fall off your feet. Wouldn't be very effective. You wouldn't be ready. You wouldn't be ready for anything. It wouldn't work. Neither would warfare work without a belt. You wouldn't be ready for battle or shoes or boots or boots that are not connected to your feet well. Imagine a modern soldier without any belts or any strap. No belt for his pistol, for his ammunition, no straps to hold his backpack on. He's got to carry his backpack. He doesn't have shoes. He wouldn't go far. You wouldn't want to be that soldier. So it's being watchful, being ready, being ready for everything, being alert, and being prayerful, because in a sense, prayer is watching. It's a part of watching. Maybe for some of you, we could stop right here. What I mean by that is this. We wouldn't have to go any farther, and you have the main answer to your spiritual woes to your moral failures, your sins, and perhaps to your backslidden condition. You could say, my downfall is that I don't take heed to Paul's words in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always and being watchful. I'm like the 11 tribes. They thought they had it, and they didn't. Brethren, take these words seriously. Paul doesn't just attach them on the end because he thought he should say something about prayer. 
Prayer is very important. Watching is very important. When I say watching, when Jesus said watch, when he said take heed in Luke 21, what does it mean? Well, it includes a few things, mainly being careful. Be careful as opposed to careless in your Christian life. Careful about everything. Like Paul said in Acts 24, I strive always to have a good conscience before God and men. Be careful, secondly, and this fits in right with, I, with what I just said, be careful not to sin. In our day and age, if you're careful not to sin, and it's evident, sadly, many professing Christians even look down on you. They might think, oh, you're a legalist. Careful not to sin? Who, who, who talks like that nowadays, other than the Puritans, but they're not nowadays. And be careful of the world. Look at Jesus' language there in Luke 21 and verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, that's worldliness, and cares of this life. In other words, legitimate things that just you just allow to overwhelm you. Be careful not to sin. Be careful of the world. If you're not, you have no elastic in your gym shorts. You have no laces on your basketball shoes or your track shoes. Think of the example, a couple of examples from the Old Testament at this point. I thought of a couple. Think of the example of Joseph who was careful not to sin, especially in the moment. He'd go into Potiphar's house. After not too long, he knew there was a huge danger there, Potiphar's wife. So no doubt, every day when he went in, he had that in mind, knowing she was about somewhere, or might be, he was on the watch, he was careful, so that in the moment of severe trial, a very strong temptation, a woman grabs hold of him and says, lie with me, and family and co-religionists, co-believers in the true God, were, what, hundreds of miles away? Who would know? Who would care? He ran. He fled immorality. Or think of Daniel who, just knowing the ethos of Babylon, he started out with this mentality, and for however many decades he served, it was something like 50 plus years, I think, there in Babylon, however many years he served, even different regimes there in Babylon, Daniel was ready. You know, part of the way he was ready, not just by being ready for a specific temptation in the moment, he demonstrated his watchfulness and readiness in this way. He understood the importance of faithful, regular prayer. We read it in Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that was the writing was signed, that is, there was a law made by some of his fellow governors to get him, because he was a man of prayer to the living God, he went home 
And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. That's being watchful. That's being prayerful. Not just in the moment of trial, because now there's this person at work who's a constant snare. I need to up my game in terms of my prayer life. You realize that? Good. But also get the idea from Daniel every day of the Christian life. As it says, as was his custom since early days. Let me give you a couple of more good texts about watching Romans 13, 12 to 14. I'm just going to read them. You can get there if you'd like, but I want to keep moving here. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8. Listen to the exhortation, brethren. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The Christian life demands a clear mind, alertness, readiness, preparation. If you're not putting away sin, if you're not avoiding unhealthy and deadening influences, maybe you never have in your Christian life, maybe you did when you're younger, but you think, I don't need to do that anymore. Paul thinks differently. Jesus thinks differently. If you're not putting away sin and focusing on God like Daniel in his room three times a day, you can't, you can't win this fight. You can't be successful in it. You can't live as a Christian needs to live. So as we conclude on this point of watchfulness, brethren, take temptation to sin seriously. Be always on the watch. Take the spiritual battle seriously. A word to unbelievers before I move on to praying. To unbelievers, think this way. You say, but I'm not a Christian. You can't tell me how to think. I'm just telling you the truth of life in this world. I said there's a spiritual battle between lightness and darkness between truth and falsehood, between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness. You're in the battle one way or another. Sin kills. Sin will take you to hell. And temptation is the doorway to sin. And temptation for us, once it starts tickling us and calling us, Temptation usually involves sin with it for sinners like us. So you shouldn't play with temptation any more than you play with sin. 
You need salvation from your sins, and that is only found in Jesus Christ. Remember, as I've preached before, if you're an unbeliever, doesn't matter. Everyone is in this battle. You are on one side or the other. You're on God's or you're on Satan's. If you're on Satan's, that means he doesn't have to work as hard. But that means you're on your way to destruction, as the Bible says. You can't survive this life without this armor. The only way to get it is through repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus Christ. And I urge you to believe in him and turn from your sins today. And then believers, some words to you as we move from watchfulness to prayer, or before we do that, I'll say the same thing to you to start. Sin kills. Sin, if you are not careful, will take you to hell. So I'm saying professing believers. Similarly, as for unbelievers, temptation is the doorway to sin. And you should not play with temptation anymore then you should play with sin. Jesus spoke to his disciples when he spoke these words, and he spoke with that conviction of those things I just said. Paul wrote with that conviction when he wrote passages like Romans 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, which I read. The whole Bible speaks with that conviction. Remember how Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, take, let, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, in other words, you think you stand? Great! Who thinks they stand? Believers who really do stand? What does Paul say to them? Take heed! And then people who think they stand but don't really don't, don't really. In other words, hypocrites. What should they do? They should also take heed. Brethren, we need to take heed. We live in a very godless and careless generation. As I stand here in 21st century America, I can say this. One, the world has had a great impact on the professing church. A huge impact. And I can say, secondly, that therefore we need, that is the Church of Christ in 21st century America, a baptism of sensitivity to sin. May God grant that to us through this consideration of this passage as we conclude especially. And may God give us a greater appreciation for a sinless Savior who suffered to deliver us from this world. So we are to watch. Secondly, we are to pray. Watch, as Paul says, or as Jesus said, watch and pray. Or as Paul says here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful. So let's go back to Jesus' words in Luke 21, 36. What does Jesus say there? <clears throat> he says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's how we should pray, that God would count us worthy 
that he would keep us, that he would give us the strength and the grace we need to stand. As Paul said in Ephesians 6, stand therefore with this armor in the evil day so that you may keep standing till the end. So here we're going to focus on prayer. We know we are always to pray. That's what Jesus said in Luke 21, 36. Pray always. Paul says here, all prayer we are to engage in. Or he starts out praying always with all prayer. So when he says that, he means says all prayer. I think he means every kind of prayer. But I just want to focus like a laser beam on prayer as part of this battle against the wiles of the devil. So here are three important ways we should be praying. And I'll borrow petitions from the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer gives us the whole realm of things that we should pray for. I'll focus in on just three of them, three important ways we should be praying when we think of the spiritual battle. We'll start out with this petition, lead me not in, into temptation. Now, I know that I misquoted that. The proper statement is lead us not into temptation. I understand that. And so in a similar way, at the end of verse 18, it says, you are to be watchful and pray with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we're to pray for one another. I'm zeroing in on each one of us, how we should fight this battle with this armor. We should pray for one another in the same ways, but I'm just going to individualize it for today's purposes. So lead me not into temptation. First way we should pray. It's the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. In other words, you're praying this, Lord, keep me from situations, from things, from people that tempt me. For some of us, that means we won't go to certain places because we know certain people are there or when they're there, they do certain things and we cannot handle it without what, when we walk through the door, we officially enter temptation. We enter into temptation. We have to know ourselves, but we have to pray that God would keep us from those situations. It's easy enough when Saul, uh, Solomon said to his son, don't go near the house of the immoral woman. Easy enough when you know where she lives. Or your boss doesn't say, look, you have to work over there today. Then it's easy enough. But you pray that God would keep you from those things that make it too hard for you to resist and you know it. But then you're also praying that like Joseph, you get, if you get into one of those situations that you didn't ask to get in or not through your own carelessness, it's just through living your life and someone grabs you by the cloak that like Joseph, you will get away, that you will run without getting burned. Lead me not into temptation. Someone asked me about the wording of that petition just a week ago, I think it was. So when we pray, lead me not into temptation, that's not blaming God for when you fall into temptation. You can read um, James 1, 13 to 15. It tells you God doesn't ever tempt. It's not blaming God. Say, lead me not into temptation, Lord. Meaning, sometimes you do. He never does. He tests us. It's Satan that tries to push us into sin and Satan only. No, it's not blaming God. It's just acknowledging that only he 
can keep me from sin. And it's praying that, God, you need to do this in my life because I don't have the strength to do it myself. Think the Israelites in the battle against the Benjamites. It's like what we pray in one of our hymns, I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby, temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. That is, when you are near. Lord, be near me today. Maybe you're praying that because you know of a specific temptation you're going to face on that day. Maybe you're praying that just because you know you're in the battle today. Pray it. Another petition is this. Deliver me from the evil one. The following petition in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver me from evil or deliver me from the evil one. It could be translated either way. Pray it both ways. We're in a battle against the hosts of darkness. We face the schemes of the devil and the fiery darts of the devil. Pray, deliver me, Lord, from those things when they come. The Bible teaches the whole world lies in the evil one. 1 John 5, verse 19. To some extent, though the devil may not be right in your presence, he is behind all sin and all temptation to sin. So in praying this petition, deliver me from the evil one, you acknowledge that that's true, that the devil is behind those things. You acknowledge that you're utterly dependent upon God. You acknowledge that you, therefore, are utterly incapable of resisting the devil in your own strength. The Bible says resist him. You say, I don't have the strength to resist him. Pray! That God will help you to resist him. That he will deliver you from the evil one. That he will lead you not into temptation. When you pray that petition, brethren, you are acknowledging something like this. Lord, I see that you warn us in your word that there is a great danger that we fall in love with the world and all the enjoyment that it offers us. I understand that. I see how some people... Forget you. Unbelievers certainly do, but even people who have professed faith, they forget you or they completely ignore you. And I see how my own heart is attracted to certain things of this world and how vulnerable I am at certain, in certain situations and to certain temptations. And I see my, how my own heart is attracted to certain things. And I understand that if I let my heart go after those things, I may get sucked in by them and never escape. That's how I look at it, based on Jesus' words, based on Paul's words. And I see how the Bible warns about this. I've seen the warnings as I read my Bible myself. I've heard them from the pulpit. I've seen people who used to be, to the eyeball, faithful Christians. And I've seen some of them just stop following Jesus. If you've been a Christian for long, you've seen it. I've seen professing Christians fall in love with the world to such an extent that it seems they don't even care about you anymore. And I've seen in my own life that things in this world can make me at times almost forget that you exist. In terms of my thought life and my conduct. 
For instance, my addiction to social media has become so strong, you might say, it's a chain that I cannot break. Or young people, it might mean for you acknowledging my love for my video games and social media can sometimes make me wish my parents would just get out of my life. Or my desire to be with certain friends or people or to do certain things makes me want to tell my parents lies when they ask me, where are you going? Or maybe even something like this. My desire to get good grades and make a lot of money or make a name for myself has become too important for me. I don't read the word of God anymore. I don't have the time. Young people face these pressures, adults face face these pressures, no less. And Jesus is saying here, when he says, watch and pray that you may be able to stand, he is saying, acknowledge these realities. And pray that God will break the chains that are holding you. He's saying, pray that he will keep you from ever getting to that point in your Christian life. Pray that he will deliver you from the power of sin and from the strong attraction of those things and from the temptations of the devil, from his fiery darts, which will make you completely unready for my coming. That's what he's saying. Listen to those words once again. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be able to be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Remember what he said in verse 35. For the day will come as a snare. Verse 34, that day will come on you unexpectedly. He's saying you should think this way in your Christian life. I should live as though here coming today. And you should keep praying that way every day. Is that how you see reality? Is that the way Paul and Jesus are telling us to see it? I think that's how they see reality. That's what their words convey. So do you pray that way? Do you pray every day with that kind of earnestness? That's how Jesus said we should pray. Lord, I see the danger. I know I'm not strong enough myself. I need your help. I need the Holy Spirit. I need grace. I need grace to deal with my specific sins. I don't want to hang on to the bitterness that keeps fouling my speech, at least toward the person I'm so bitter at. And corroding my soul. I don't want it. I don't want to be sitting here scrolling through images I shouldn't be even looking at. And one day have Jesus appear on the clouds. You want that? Think that way, brethren. Watch that way. Pray that way. Because that doesn't sound like being ready to me. Some Christians say, well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Christians are safe. We're safe. We just heard a preach the other day about um, oh, eternal security. Do we believe that or not? We do believe that. 
But we need to realize that Jesus' warnings are not just for unbelievers. He is warning everyone. Verse 35, for it will come as a snare on all those who are on the face of the whole earth. In other words, everyone who is not watching. Not just everyone who was ever baptized. Everyone who ever said he was a Christian, who prayed a sinner's prayer. Everyone who's not watching. Tell me if you don't think Jesus wants us to watch like that. And if you think he doesn't want us to think like this. Imagine that you were carrying on a sinful relationship with someone. A girl, a boy, a woman, a man. Tell me if you don't think he wants you to think like this. I need to stop this relationship. If he wants you to think, what if I'm doing this and Jesus comes? Or if you're, you're viewing uncleanness on the internet, doesn't he want you to think this way? What am I doing? Or, or if you're disobeying your parents and hiding it from them. Does he not want you to think, this isn't right, and I cannot keep this up? Do not think Christians don't need this kind of warning. We do. So when we pray, we are to pray, lead me not into temptation. We are to pray, deliver me from evil. We are to pray, thirdly, I don't want to forget this, Forgive me of my sins or of my debts. That's the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. I'll just say this much. No matter how watchful and how careful you become, no matter how mature you become as a Christian, no matter how godly, holy, you will still sin. And this is important to understand. When you take the teaching of Jesus here seriously, as you ought to do, every one of us ought to do this, it doesn't mean that you adopt the idea that a true Christian can't sin at all. I see some people like that. They take it very seriously. They have a sensitive conscience. And every time they sin, their default position is to say, I must not be a Christian. No! True Christians can sin, they do sin. Read the last half of Romans 7. It won't be too long, but it might be a while. I'll be preaching it. But brethren, true Christians do sin. And that means true Christians need what we heard from Zechariah the last couple of weeks. They need the fountain that is open for all uncleanness. The uncleanness of unbelievers who repent and fall down before Jesus and believe. And the uncleanness of Christians who sin as well. Every hour I need thee. I need him for the power to turn from sin. I need him for the blood to cleanse me of my daily sins. So we've covered watch and pray We've seen, I hope, how they go together like a hand in a glove. They are inseparable. As Peter said, watch unto prayer. 
If we are God's people, brethren, we have been given armor that enables us to defend ourselves against the strongest foes in the universe. His divine power, Peter said, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let's remember the things we've heard over these weeks and let's see that we take up that armor that we strap it on, that we keep our swords sharpened and ready, and that we imitate our Lord when we looked at him in the desert, Luke 4, Matthew 4, by doing battle like good soldiers against the devil and all of his schemes. Here's a stanza of a hymn that really fits in with what we've heard today. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. I began with an Old Testament account of a battle in Israel. I'll end with another. This one is in 2 Chronicles 14. It's the whole chapter, basically. It's not a long chapter. Judah, at the time, Asa was the king. Judah was attacked by an army of one million Ethiopians, and they had 300 chariots. Judah had only 600,000 troops, so they were almost doubled in number. We read in verse 12, at the end of it, the end of this battle, kind of like the battle with the, the uh, Benjamites or the 300 of Gideon, so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. An amazing victory. One man commenting on this said this, I will tell you where the battle was won. I will tell you where the critical maneuver was performed. He said it was behind the front lines, inside a tent, where a solitary man was on his face in prayer. Verse 11 said this, And Asa, king of Judah, cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you another good picture of the important place of prayer in the spiritual battle. Brethren, may we never forget it. May God help us to understand that, to believe it, and then to live like we do believe it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask that you would take that word and write it on all of our hearts. We say with the apostles, Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.